find me on Twitter at FF Larry Monkey. But you could find this guy on X. He's out murdering deer. No more. And this guy's not on the couch tonight. He's laying in a twin bed. He's got some, I don't know, are those jean shorts? I don't even know. <laughs> I run DFF in his sister's bedroom with some cool, I don't even know who's hanging up in those pictures. But hey, at run DFF, Justin Rogers. What's up, my man? I'm not kicking the jean shorts, but I do wear jean shorts every Thursday and Friday night at the bar because, <laughs> because the uh, the dress the dress code for your uniform is jeans. And when they move from black pants to jeans, I straight up asked the owner of our local B-dubs. I said, can I wear shorts? Can I wear jean shorts? And he said, yep. I went to Bass Pro Shop and grabbed a pair of jean shorts because I knew I could find some at a Bass Pro. And so, but I am not kicking the shorts. But Larry, you're wrong about one thing. What's that? Hunting season is over where I live, but I'm on the Gulf Coast where this shit runs until February the 15th. I just came out <laughs> the woods, homie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> February 15th. I got home at 6 38. <laughs> it's now wow. 7 oh, whatever. Yeah. So you just got back from hunting? Yeah. Did you murder any deer or baby I deer? Anything today, I, but I, I walked around a good bit, scouted, and I'm going to go back in the morning. And then I got to go finish helping my mom move into her new little apartment thing. And then I'm back home. I got about two and a half, three hours of hunting in my in in this season left. And then it's over. That's exciting. Uh, and what's more more exciting is, is the guest we got on tonight. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, he was coming on to a hunting podcast, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know what this guy likes to hunt? What does he like to hunt? Late round quarterbacks. <laughs> oh, bum bum bum. I see what you did there. <laughs> At late round QB, JJ Zagarizin. What's up, buddy? Thanks for coming on the show. What's going on? I, I can't contribute that much to the hunting talk. I did look one time, one of our neighbors was a big hunter growing up. Uh, and I did help him drag a deer once. I did that that before. Uh up, 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 up this giant hill. And that's the closest that I've gotten to doing anything like that in my entire life. He's like, JJ, hop in the truck. I need you to come help me drag this deer. Yeah, right. I didn't even get to do like the part that people enjoy doing. Uh, you know, I just, I literally was just at the end there. Um, that's the but, worst part is the dragging. That's the terrible part. Yeah. The right. and learning and all that, the fun part. Yeah. I know nothing about any of that stuff, but uh, yeah, I mean, some people love it. So, well, it's, you know, it's, I was in the supermarket today and I was in a, a supermarket that I don't really shop in, but it, I was just in that area. I popped in there and I had to grab some stuff and I walked past the section or butcher section and I saw yeah. just some, some stuff I don't normally see. I saw rabbit and I was like, man, this is just, I don't know if Justin could clean a rabbit this good, but this thing was, was packaged nice. And I almost, I was like, man, I should just buy this for the heck of it. <laughs> just like, just cook it and, tell my eight-year-old daughter after she had a piece like tell her i was a rabbit yeah but i didn't want to spend it was like 45 bucks for the rabbit and i, I mean Holy it's a cow. it's a lot of money for a rabbit what do you think especially with easter coming up you think it'd be on some kind of discount but i don't know <laughs> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of uh a lot of money for like a pound of meat max and i didn't like, i didn't that check rabbit weigh like six or seven pounds and it's got nothing you know i was Ooh. turned off by the price so it wasn't worth the joke Sometimes it's worth to spend a little buck, some money on, on, I can on tell a lap. You right now that if your daughter was not expecting to eat rabbit and you gave her rabbit, it would not be much of a joke, Larry. <laughs> I'm guessing Stephanie would put a would make that not so funny. We see rabbits in the backyard. We actually, it's funny. Well, it's not funny. Did you ever whack them and skin them and, and grill them out? Yeah. I don't know how. I would have, I would have consulted with you. I would have I would have leaned on you to help me out with that one. My my daughter will eat anything. She wanted oh, me to shoot that turkey that walked out last weekend. She yeah, yeah. Like JJ, her, so. Justin went hunting with his daughter for the very first time. Like was that a week time. ago? Second time. Second time. Yep. Yeah. First time was like three or four weeks ago. And I love the story you told on last week's show, where where she was just like, "Daddy, shoot it, shoot it, Daddy, shoot that, yeah. shoot the deer." <laughs> well, first it was the turkey. Shoot it, and I'm like, I cannot shoot that turkey. It is not turkey season. But we had a deer walk out, and she was all about it. So, yeah. yeah. If you, if I shot a rabbit in front of her, she'd like, she'd be like, "Daddy, are we going to eat that?" Yeah, we are. Wow, very so. cool, very cool. Like I said, we have rabbits that live in our backyard. I mean, we see rabbits all the time. Cassidy has names for every single one of them. Yeah, so, don't don't yeah. give her a rabbit without at least consulting her. 
Yep, yep, yep. Which is going to go, hey, no, daddy, I don't want to eat a rabbit. Yeah. So, New I mean, Jersey, Mississippi, we live different lifestyles, bud. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. I don't have a gun under my front seat of my car like like you do, a shotgun. Did you did the shotgun make it to where you are? Now you're still in Mississippi, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just uh like three hours south of where I live, but I'm in Mississippi. You know what? Our paths have crossed. Well, just in, in, in as far as a tweet goes, I did have an, a, a brief interaction with JJ many years ago when I first got on Twitter and entered like the oh, you remember this, right? JJ, I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm now frightened. Sure. To know yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm worried about where this is going. No, 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 no. It was funny. It was it was right after your daughter was born, I guess. And all you do, you were just it was like a picture posted of you with your daughter. Well, I thought it was you. The only thing I, I just couldn't get past the slippers in the photo. And I just made a, I just made a, a comment like late round slippers. And you were like, mm. that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so sorry, man. <laughs> I did apologize. But, oh, man. That, that, the, but uh, you know, that's that's our brief in, encounter five years ago, I guess. That's funny. But, yes. Late round slippers. So how, how was the season for you this year? I'd say it was good. I, I hit some bad variants in the playoffs, but I had a good rate of getting in right which i feel like is more indicative of how your yeah. teams are you know uh mm-hmm. which is cool had some you know had some brutal brutal losses but had some i mean i had like a one-year rebuild that won the championship in a league which was sweet i i just hit on every like literally seven uh rookie picks in the first round and a half of the Superflex league and just hit on every single like got you know achan laporta addison cj stroud jameer gibbs and just hit Jaden reed just hit on all of them won the championship and that those are the kinds of titles that like even if you have some bad beats if you get one like that you just i mean it it, it means more was yeah. this an orphan or was this a team that you decided you wanted to blow up team i just decided to blow up i mean it's been around uh the league's been around this is year four i want to say um it's it's a it's a league that's filled with uh like five analysts and then there's seven uh folks that some are actors some are hollywood writers and stuff we just put it together you know four or five years ago and the the non-analysts have won every single year. The analysts have, <laughs> and and then finally, this was the year, of course. But I, it was just one of those things where, like, I'm very much a, a player who uh, I don't like living in purgatory at all with my dynasty roster. So if I'm even like on the fringe, there, there's some people in the league that are, and I'm, you know, if I say this, I don't think they'd get upset. But they're like not as experienced playing dynasty per se. So at the beginning of the league start, like you're getting people who are making win now deals all the time. And so when I see that happening, I'm just going to go in the opposite direction and start gobbling up these future picks. And so gobble them all up for 2024. And then it just all hit in the literal perfect way for me to now have not only the most valuable roster, but one that, you know, could compete and win this year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're big on that as well. Preaching the don't sit in the middle, either be yeah. at the top or just yeah. plummet to the bottom and, re- and redo it all. Yeah. Pe- people overstate how long it takes to, to, to right. get back. I mean, you like, I, I mean, Obviously, this league, I got back in less than a year, but like, you know, it's usually doesn't take as long as, as most people probably think. No, I I think two years is about as long as it should take, honestly. Yeah. If yep. you're if you're active, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I, I think you have to be more active when you're rebuilding than when you're sitting at the top. Always yeah, trying to pimp that value out yeah. every time that, you know, somebody hits, go get that second round, whatever. Yeah. Grinding sure. away. Let's start from the beginning. When did you get into it? Like, when did you catch the bug? So I, I started playing fantasy in 2002. Um, so I've been playing for over 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, started a league with buddies in high school. I was a freshman in high school at the time. And we just started playing. And that league is still in existence today. Uh, but we, you know, I just, I, I was always the person in my league who, um, was just more into it than than others. Uh, you know, I would I would sit in the message boards in the league forum and argue with people about you know Michael Turner's value or whatever, and just go back and forth about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I I never at that time, and even like in college and stuff, I never thought that this would be my career, or that it was a possible career, and that this was you know what I could do uh, to support my family and all that good stuff. Um, so that that you know. That kind of thing was never really in the forefront at the time, but I definitely got really, really interested in fantasy pretty early on um, and pretty much right away. Uh, I was just hooked once I started playing. When did you realize you wanted a career in fantasy sports? Yeah, so I uh, I, I worked in the – so my background is in sort of like – I got my degree in marketing. Um, I, I Throughout high school and, and middle school even, I taught myself graphic and web design, so I have that as sort of like a backbone and a, and a background. Um, and so whenever I graduated, 
I got into the advertising world um, and worked at an ad agency and I was a project manager and I just hated everything about it. Like I, I, I love the people that I worked with and, you know, it was like a cool, it was like standard, like cool ad agency spot where you got kegerators and like ping pong tables and stuff like that. And the people I worked with were great. It was just a, kind of a, a soul sucking type gig where I just didn't feel very fulfilled at all. And I don't think that it was necessarily the company's fault. It was just the, the way that most jobs I probably would have felt that way. And so the work wasn't wasn't exactly what you expected when you went into marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I'm doing things like I'm like managing, I'm helping manage like the Swiffer.com website and stuff. I mean, this is, what am I doing with my life right now? I can't do this for the next 40 years of my life. Um, (laughs) And so one day I remember being at work and I opened up a word document and I was like, look, I'm, I'm so, you know, just fed up with just doing this. I got to find something that I'm going to feel more passionate about. So I literally just like started writing down, my passions. And one of those things was fantasy football. And once I started researching the fantasy football landscape a little bit, this is back in 2011. Um, I started realizing that the fantasy space was sort of missing analysis that made a lot of sense to me based on how I've always played, but it wasn't really out there. And that was drafting quarterbacks late, right? Like that simple concept. Uh, and it was based on not just like, you know, this is the way that this year is going to go. The next year you're going to draft a quarterback or like, cause there was just this flip-flopping going on all the time with analysts and stuff at, the, at that time. And I realized that that shouldn't be the case because there's some economic principles and some really basic stuff that tells you that you should be drafting quarterbacks late almost every single year. So I decided that I was going to work my job during the, the, you know, 40 hours a week. Then I'd go at home at night uh, while my now wife, I was, we were living in Cincinnati at the time. Uh, I would go home and my wife would be there. My girlfriend, we had this like uh, a little loft type spot where our, our desk and computer was in the same place as like the living room. So I could literally just like work on this ebook that ended up being the late round quarterback ebook while, you know, we're hanging out watching TV and stuff like that. And so just month after month for the next like six or seven months, I worked on this ebook and I sort of meshed my graphic design background, my, my, my web design background, uh, with, this like passion for getting the strategy out there and, and talking fantasy football into this ebook, which at the time ebooks weren't like that, that accessible and popular per se. Like I remember I coded it in a way where it was like responsive on your tablet and stuff. And now <laughs> like a PDF is responsive on your tablet. Yeah. Like, like at the time it wasn't the case at all. Uh, so I, I just used a lot of the, the, the skills that I developed over the last, you know, decade of my life and, uh, you know, just the, the combine that with the passion of fantasy football. And I ended up in 2012 launching the ebook, the late round quarterback, and the rest is kind of history from there. Wow. Do you ever look back and, and think, man, I'm glad I did that when I did, because I may not be able to do that now with kids. hundred percent. Like, and, and not only that, I come at it from a, a place of like in sincere privilege. Like I, I, I didn't have some things to worry about at that time that other people might have been worried about where I could make that leap or take those chances or not working two jobs. You know, I have this 40 hour week job. That's totally fine. Uh, you know, I'm not making like cra- it's a job out of school. I'm not making like crazy, crazy amounts of money, but I'm able to, you know, support myself and, make a good living. Uh, and then at the same time, be able to do this on the side. It really can't. And I was still, you know, going to the bars on the weekend and doing it's not, you know, I, I, I get like, you know, there's like the Gary V's out there who will be like, no, you can't go out and have fun while you're grinding and doing it. It's like, I don't, that's you not grind. Really, yeah. That's not you really go like an extra hour or two every evening right. or whatever. Right. It's all have time to hang out with your yes. girlfriend, now wife. And yes, you didn't because like now, I don't know how your routine goes with a five and a one year old, but I have a five and a one and a half year old and Mm -hmm. it's all right. From the time I get home until eight 30 or so is kid time. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you know, you're, you're hanging out with the wife or doing whatever you do around the house. It would be be hard. You jumped on that when you could, because if you, you know, establishing yourself now to where it's your career, changes yeah. things rather than trying to change careers yeah 100 percent. and you 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 uh, yes i have like a backbone that i can always rely on now that i that i was able to build when i had more time sure. right. yeah. what role does your wife play in all of this because it's got to take a, a pretty impressive woman to support a fantasy football nerd you know <laughs> yeah no it's true it's true uh yeah i mean she was she never questioned it she believed in me more than i did honestly wow. uh Great. Like legitimately, I even look back and, you know, 
obviously I'm making more money today than I was back then out of school and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I never did this to make money. That's not really the, the, the reason why anyone should be doing this in general. Like she knew that I would be successful in doing it. And I didn't know that at all. So she, yeah, she's, she was a huge, huge, huge help throughout it all. Wow. That's Did you ever rope her into playing a fantasy football league? <laughs> No, no, it's funny. She, I, I think, she, I think she, she hates football now more than ever. Uh, you there, know, there, I, there, there you go. It's funny. Like, like we, we both grew up in Pittsburgh. We both grew up in Pittsburgh and we were, you know, like diehard Steeler fans and stuff. And I'm, I'm not really that anymore. Cause I do this, you know, when you're doing this as your job and stuff, like you come to respect other franchises and how they build and, like if you were to tell me 15 years ago that I'd be like rooting for the Ravens, I mean, my my old self would be punching my current self about <laughs> doing that. But like I respect like I love Lamar Jackson. I love John Harbaugh. I love what they're doing. And, all you know, it's just a different kind of vibe. Might just be like general maturity, too. I have no idea. Like when we first started dating, even when we were like 19 years old, we were going to like Steeler camp together and like doing that you know, as like a, a thing to do together. But now she doesn't care about football. She's burnt out on your. Yeah, she, she's she's over it. She's over it. <laughs> oh, my God. So, I mean, so what is we, we, we do this segment when we have a guest on. It's called What's Your Fantasy? Which means what's your fantasy? Is it redraft, best ball, dynasty, DFS, Debbie? I miss yeah. anything, Justin? I miss anything? I uh, pretty much covered it. I think he's got the gist. He can plug <laughs> it in now. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd probably say redraft is still my, it's my bread and butter for sure. Uh, yeah. Just in terms of like being an analyst and stuff, it's where I started. It's where, where audience is too, if we're being honest, you know, and that matters pretty much redraft and dynasty is where I focus on. But I'm also, I'd say the last few years, probably since the pandemic started, yeah. I, when I really, really wanted to just play more volume, cause there was just like nothing else going on. I joined a lot more, uh, dynasty best ball leagues. And so I'm, I'm very much a dino best ball guy now too. Um, you know, more so probably have just as many, uh, or no, I probably have double the amount of, of dynasty best ball leagues now that I do managed dynasty league. I like to check my teams. Like I like looking at my teams and stuff. Yeah. I got into a, a lot of best balls this year and I just found myself like just, just going through them all, just, just checking them out and stuff. And I know you don't have to with a best ball, but I just found myself kind of gravitating to just uh, to see where I'm at here, just to take a peek. And yeah, and I just I didn't like the way it looked on my dashboard, just all these leagues that I was in. And it's just like, oh, uh, man, so I don't know if I'm going to I'm going to stray. I mean, I also got into a lot of redraft leagues, too, this year and or charity leagues. It's, it was just a little bit overwhelming this year. And some years are like that. Some years aren't. Um, you know, I say it every year. I'm going to take a step back, but you, know. <laughs> you yeah. never do. <laughs> come fan, come come uh charity league season it's like i've got four of drafts going yeah it's like it's it's like it's like when you're really hung over and you're like i'm never drinking again <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and i mean we're gonna start talking about it soon i mean the fc eliminators are coming out i mean john bosch kicks those babies off it's kind of yeah, like less season. than four months until those are around yeah. and the fish then the fishbowl and then it's then it's on you know everything everything kind of falls into place after that it'll all be a blur and we'll be there before we know it Right. So, DJ, how many how many lineup setting leagues? The ones that you have to manage on a Sunday morning and yeah. grind away while you're trying to do all your all your other stuff. I'd say probably twenty to thirty a year. Dynasty at this point probably between seven and ten. I haven't just counted off the top of my head, but that's a good number though. Yeah, and then and then redraft, and then you know again on top of that, I you can double that for my best ball dynasty leagues and stuff like that, and then redraft wise, uh, it's between like twenty and thirty ish. You know, I I. Like to get it to a number where it's number one manageable, of course, but also I don't want to be in like fewer than 10 because I don't like when variance doesn't go my way and it's just very, <laughs> very frustrating to me. And so I'd rather spend that extra hour or so a week, you know, managing extra rosters than, you know, having to, to deal with that annoyance, you know, during the playoffs and stuff like that. Yeah, I found that the variance in the redraft leagues, I'm only in two that are money leagues. And of course, Fishbowl, yeah. everything else is dynasty. That it drives me nuts. It's tough when I get like when we get to the playoffs and I'm like I've got the number one seed and I lose <laughs> in the you know the second round yeah. of playoffs. Or this year, <laughs> I lost in the last week of the regular season and dropped from the one seed to the four seed and then lost in the first round of the playoffs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Killing me, just two right. losses right there. It's, you know, it could have been, and I would have I would have won both after that. I would have yeah. won in the second and third round. It's like, man, just that one damn loss at the end of the regular season cost me. Yeah, it's tough. So, it's tough. And when you have two two redraft leagues, and they're both home leagues from uh, 
the restaurant, the bar I work at at Buffalo Wild Wings. They're both, they're both like regulars. And I guess maybe I'm the only employee left in those things now. So yeah, it's all just regulars and then me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you get to talk shit a, a lot when you're in those. But then when you lose, especially if you're the guy that is, is in 17 leagues and they're all in one or two. Right. Really right. talk trash. Yeah. So how'd you come up with the late round QB concept as far as your brand goes? Yeah, I, I again, you know, it was after whenever I was figuring out what to do in the fantasy space, I really was just like sort of looking around and realizing that people at the time from the 2011 to the 2012 season. So pre 2012 season, 2011 had crazy, crazy quarterback numbers like there were. It was a year where like Stafford went off and Cam Newton's rookie season. And, you know, obviously like guys like Peyton and Tom Brady doing well and Aaron Rodgers, what have you. But all these guys are just going nuclear, right? The advice then the following year was from, from many was to, you got to get one of these guys in the early rounds. And, and like, I'm talking like first round of your draft. And if you look at ADP, 80, quarterback ADP was the highest that it's ever been in 2012. It was, there were, there were three quarterbacks on average in redraft getting drafted in the first round. There were two more getting drafted in the second round. It was wild. And so I knew that based on history and based on, you know, again, some of those really basic, like, you know, supply and demand type economics related topics, the, the quarterback position didn't need to be drafted early. There's just no reason to do that. There's a lot of variance involved with quarterback passing too year over year. And so uh, I wrote the late round quarterback ebook. That's what published. And I wrote the strategy about it. And then it just so happens that that year, you know, I'd say some of it is luck, but some of it's also just like, this is the strategy that I was telling you guys about and then writing about, and it came to fruition the way that it did. But like, that was the year that Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, and RG3 all entered the league and they all dominate, like they all were like pretty good fantasy assets right away as rookies. And then a lot of those early round guys didn't do nearly as well the following right. year because it's regression. Like this is just what happens. And at the time, you know, the, the stuff that people do now these days is so much deeper and like if the average fantasy analyst who's doing it part time and, you know, has a normal job and such and then comes at home and does work that that analysis that that person's doing is way better than the best analysis that was being done in 2011, 2012. It's just sure. that the game has evolved and we've evolved and hopefully I've evolved as an analyst. Like I, I look back at that ebook and I cringe. It's terrible. Like I don't people are like, oh, can I go buy that ebook? I'm like, no, please don't buy that ebook. Like <laughs> I, I don't want you to have your hands on that ebook. It's terrible. And so uh, I just kind of I just took the moniker and just kind of like went along with it. And then, um, you know, things have evolved and changed. And, you know, it's not the same kind of strategy these days anymore. But I've kept the late round brand around just because it's where everything kind of started. I dominated three different three years in a row in a league before the league caught on that you didn't need. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was taking quarterbacks in like the 12th, 13th round. Right. I, I was doing the same thing it, just because the top scores and the. 10th guy we're only separated by you know a couple points here and right. there mm -hmm. and uh, i mean there was three years in a row where i killed that league yeah and everybody started paying attention and so by, <laughs> that was from 2009 to 2000 and well 2011 so even that but i guess in 2012 they did it one more time but i didn't win that league and then everybody kind of caught on that was the year that everybody learned yeah, like they took that early quarterback, and the, it, the other the other guys were doing well enough, anyways. Yeah, you you can look at my old tweets, and I would argue with people probably until like the 2015 ish time frame, where then finally people were just like, okay, this is the way that it should be. Because <laughs> like realistically, like I have my podcast, Living the Stream, that I do with Denny Carter, and on Living the Stream back in 2013, from like the 2013 to 2017 range, we 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 pick streamers off the waiver wire each week, and they're guys that are rostered in like 20 percent of leagues or whatever. And we Frankenstein them together. So we would, uh, at that time, only pick one per week. And we would then tabulate and say, here's what our quarterback average on a points per game basis. I'm not even kidding. In that time frame, we were giving people like QB4 equivalents. Yeah. Like, like just from guys just off the waiver wire. It was so easy to do it. Now, you know, things have changed a lot with like quarterback mobility and the rushing component and like that being harder to match and uh, people just being savvier with which quarterbacks they're taking. But Back then, man, it was like you did not have to put any sort of investment into that position. I was going to ask how much it's changed because this year I actually did. I went QB in the second or third round of both of those drafts trying to get the elite. So now my my theory has changed a little bit. I either want one of the absolute two or three guarantees, which is like the Josh Allens and Jalen Hurts, or I'm just going to wait forever. 
Have you changed at all? Are you are you on board with some of that, or do you're you talking still super like, flex though, right? You're talking super flex. No, I'm just talking to no, one QB. One QB. Okay. No, in, in super flex, it all changes. There's no right. such thing as late round QB. Right. <laughs> like you got you can't you can't wait to get the Sam Howells and yeah yeah and uh, Will Levis's of the world at super flex. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm actually like one of the things that I'm most proud of in my career was analysis that I did after Lamar Jackson's MVP season in 2019. Uh -huh. And there's a, I always cite the end of this article that I wrote uh, because at the end of it, I talked about how the, the fantasy football market was getting smarter because they started to value quarterback rushing a lot more, or they were about to start valuing quarterback rushing a lot more because they were recognizing how good Lamar Jackson was. They were recognizing that more, which would change the ADP equation to, to all of this. Like part of the reason why, the late round quarterback strategy was so effective is because when you look at the R squared, the correlation between top 12 quarterbacks and how they finished top 18 quarterbacks and how they finished. I mean, in, in 2015, the, the top 18 quarterbacks, for instance, there was literally zero correlation between where they were drafted and how they finished. You could throw a dart at the QB 17. He had just as good of a chance to finish as the QB one as the QB one did that year. So back then it was just like wild, wild west. Like it doesn't matter who you're taking, but as we've gotten you know, closer to today's date, people have gotten a lot more accurate and precise with the quarterbacks that they're drafting. And a lot of that has to do with quarterback mobility and rushing. It has to do with the fact that rushing is stickier year over year than passing is. If you're going to mm -hmm. draft, it's why I faded Trevor Lawrence this year and redraft for the most part, because if you're going to draft a player like Trevor Lawrence, you know, you know that you're not going to get that much juice from him with his legs. It's just not, you know, he's more mobile than, you know, some guys like a Stafford or what have you, but you know that he's not a Justin Fields or a, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson type runner. And so the, the way for him to truly have an out as a QB, like a legit elite QB one, that's not replaceable would be an outlier season with his arm, right? It would be like a 40 plus touchdown season and right. it's fine. He could get there. I'm totally cool with like, recognizing that but at the same time i'm not going to bank on that if there are other guys that i can get later who have just as high of a ceiling because of their rushing uh or if you want to go with the elite guys very very early i'm more inclined to go with an elite guy very very early than i am a middle round quarterback at this point because we know and we feel good about a jalen hurts a josh allen a lamar jackson you know lamar was one of my top one of, one of my targets this year um because we know that the the there's going to be at least a nice floor ceiling combo with that that quarterback rushing so to me what we're what we've really evolved into is uh you know you have these elite guys i think in shallower leagues going with an elite quarterback makes more sense than deeper leagues right people get that backwards a lot too where they think that if it's a deeper league they need to get that advantage at quarterback but really deeper leagues means you're starting more even more running backs and wide receivers than you are a quarterback you can make up the difference you can make up the difference whereas a shallower league every like an eight team or a 10 team league every team is so so good you need an advantage everywhere like elite tight ends you need everything that you can get and, and so, not only that but like in a shallower league when you say shallower i mean eight ten team but also shallow starting lineups yes exactly like a exactly. standard espn league where it's seven players plus a kicker and a defense right if you have a quarterback that's scoring six or seven more points than the next the next guy's quarterback you know right. the guy that you're playing they have less opportunity to make up that difference yep. at a position, you yeah. know, and, and you're not looking, you don't need to have as much depth, obviously. So you're not looking in like, you know, the 12th round for a potential starter. Right. And you now at that point you're taking backup running backs because those are, those are gold you know, right. week four of the season. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's to the point where too, where I think we're, we're going to get to a point where, the NFL has enough of an influx of truly dual threat, true dual threat quarterbacks, you know, whether it's th this class or the next class, like at some point we're going to hit, a, we're going to hit the point where there are 12 legitimate good dual threat options. Yep. And any of those quarterbacks could end up being the QB one in that given season. That's when we're going to start to see this flip a little bit more where people are like, wait, why am I taking Josh Allen in the second round when I can get quarterback X in the 12th round who has just as good of odds you know, maybe slightly worse, but not significantly worse odds of finishing as the QB one that year. So I think we're getting there and there's going to be more and more. It's just that we need players to hit a little bit better. Like we need, we need Kyler to really bounce back this year. We need Justin Fields to find the right environment to hopefully be a better passer. You know, all that stuff needs to hit, but we're at least getting more and more of those guys as, as the years go on. Right. Yeah. That, that gap could close 
between the first and the twelfth guy if we get more of those rushing guys, yeah, uh, rushing yeah. quarterbacks like you're talking about. That's right. Yep. Yeah, now you're streaming sure. quarterbacks. I mean, that must have went pretty well with you this year with all these starting quarterbacks that came out. You know, with all the injuries. I mean, how did that? I mean, I mean, you you must have got some extra traffic coming through the late yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people people probably were tuning in a little bit more to living the stream and stuff. But it was still a tough year to to stream quarterbacks. Part partially because the the ownership percentages were rising, and we're basing it off of that. And and the other thing too that I always like to point out is that like you know like C J Stroud for instance, he was a streamer one week because no one was on him one week. We're, we're, we don't have the benefit of keeping him around and just using him week in and week out and using that as part of our like Frankenstein, right? Because eventually he's rostered in 99% of leagues and we can't use him anymore. But yeah, I mean, it was still like realistically still kind of tough from like a streaming perspective because those injuries also also meant that there were less player like usable easy to predict quarterbacks available on the waiver wire. So it's kind of this double-edged sword where, yeah, hopefully we were helpful for people. And, you know, there were a lot of injuries, obviously, but at the same time, you know, it just, it, it really dried up the pool of available quarterbacks to use. It also changes things when you're talking about streaming for two, three weeks versus streaming for the rest of the season. Or yeah. Week. Yeah. You know, like Larry, you're talking about grabbing all these guys off the waiver wire, but if you grabbed a, uh, like a Tommy DeVito, you might've got a game or two out of them. And then, you know, Cinderella's slipper came off and, and he went back to being, you know, terrible. Same thing with like, uh, I'm trying to think of, of all. Oh, Aiden O'Connell had a little moment there. Like, what happened to him? Well, I was going to say, how many, how many Flacco's did you end up having? Oh, yeah. We had, we had a lot of Flacco's, a lot of Flacco's in there for sure. <laughs> Flacco's the outlier on the stream yeah. this year. Because yeah. if you picked him up and rode him to some championships, you, you, I mean, if you tried to ride him, you, you did a, you had a fun ride, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I was off on Flacco. Dang it, missed that one. Yep, he was great against the Jets, by the way. Great against the Jets, Larry. Man, that was the one time. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like a big hot take guy. Like I'm not like, yo, this is the, this is the play here. But I was so confident the Jets were going to shut down Flacco just because. Me too. Me too. He's just, he's just Joe Flacco on the Jets defense, and you know, this the way they were playing. Uh, he just came in and just. Oh, the first it was like he had like 300 yards in like the first quarter. It was ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> he was five that week, man. So living the stream. I mean, how did you hook up with Denny? I mean, you guys been been together for a long time. How'd you guys link up? Yeah, uh, we started in the industry around the same time, and he was at some. There was like an expo slash conference type deal in New Jersey, actually, at the time, and it was like 2013. And like Michael Vick was there. It was some Michael Vick related event. Dog show. Yeah, right. Uh, Denny, Denny comes from like a, a journalism background. And so he went there and was sort of like reporting on the state of fantasy football and like the things that different analysts were saying and, and whatnot. And I just saw his tweets and I reached out to him and we started talking. And eventually we like less than a few months later, we started living the stream. So we've been doing living the stream for since 2013 and end of 2013 so it's been about over i mean it's been over 10 years very crazy because his son was born about a week before we started our first episode and so i've literally like like i just know how long the the show's (laughs) been going on based on his son's age yeah and then and then back in like 2017 is when i started the late round podcast and did the solo thing because i had to get rid of denny i just i couldn't i couldn't just do it are you a qb guy you're a running backs guy wide receiver everybody's like a guy I mean, are you the quarterback guy? No. What's funny is my, my like work and my prospecting work and stuff. I don't do quarterback because it's, it's so hard to solve the quarterback problem. And and it's just not, I I just haven't solved it yet. So I like, I have models at running back and wide receiver that I use for my prospect guide and stuff. I build uh, via wide out. Like a lot of people do Um, very much a wide receiver, heavy builder and drafter. So maybe I would lean that way, but um. Yeah, I mean, both the the running back and the wide receiver models that I have are, are are about as predictive as each other. I mean, not one is necessarily a lot better than the other one. They just have different inputs and stuff. And I I, I do think that the most interesting and fun position is wide receiver, though, to analyze and to talk about. Okay. Well, we had a patron who uh, commented he he's busy uh, tonight, but he was he said uh, I'd be curious if he's dove into this class yet and his thoughts on the wide receivers. Do you have any quick little thoughts on? On this year's class, you know, pre-combine and pre-draft, obviously, but yeah, I haven't gotten like super, super deep. Uh, I wait. I usually what I do is I'll plug in the higher end names uh, and and start analyzing them, and then 
once the, the official invite list comes out for the combine, that's when I'll put them in my model and I'll start to break down the, cause in my, my prospect guide, I'm breaking down and writing profiles for every single wide receiver and running back that goes to the combine. So right. like there's, you know, guys who no one will ever talk about again, you know, after March that are in the, in the guide. And then there's, but there's guys it's also interesting. Cause like, you know, not many people were like talking about like Demario Douglas, for instance, last year. And then I can at least go look and see what I said in the prospect guide and, um, you know, see if I had any like inclination that the guy would be good or not. But regardless, I have looked at this class a little bit at wide receiver. My initial, and this can change because again, this is very, very, very early. Right. My initial stance on it is I think that people might be overrating it a little bit. And I don't mean, Ooh. I don't mean like a neighbors or a, a Marvin Harrison jr. I just mean, you know, I don't know if the depth is as strong as, or I, I just don't, I haven't seen it yet. Um, so that back into the first round isn't as great as, as a lot of people were hoping. Yeah. And there's some guys that I'm just I, like, it's going to be really, really, I, I think like, like Roma Dun Adunze and stuff is going to be very, like, he's going to be probably the most polarizing wide receiver in the fantasy space this season, just from what I'm seeing analytically, because mm -hmm. film guys like Matt, I talked to Matt Harmon was texting Matt Harmon about this last week. And he's in love with them. Like he's, he's like, this guy's so good. He, he can be man. <laughs> he can do this. He can do that. I plug him into my prospect model and, you know, with his projected draft capital, he doesn't look like that, that bad, but there are definitely marks in there that are frightening where he's, if, if, and when he goes in the first round, he's grouped together with basically the majority of the first round busts that have happened over the last decade. And so there's stuff like that, that's going on where, you know, I just, I, I don't have a feel yet for which guys I'm going to really, really like and not like, I'll say this, my model actually likes right now with projected draft capital in there uh, because, you know, Marvin Harrison and Malik neighbors are, are going fairly close to each other at this point. It right. actually straight up, and I probably won't rank it this way, but it straight up likes neighbors more than Marvin Harrison. Say it. Say it. Been hearing that neighbors is much closer to Harrison Jr. than he is to the, anybody below. Yes. Yes. I I, that, I'm that's totally how I viewed it the whole time. 1A, 1B. And then there's two, three, four, five, you know? Yeah, like, I haven't dug into it enough, but I'm shocked that people aren't talking about him the way that they talked about even like a Jamar Chase. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you have Marvin Harrison in this class who everyone is just absolutely gushing over in love with for, for obvious reasons. But from strictly like a prospect score and the inputs that I'm looking at in, in my prospect model, like he, like Malik neighbors grades out as like a 99th percentile type prospect. Like he's, he's that, that, I mean, Marvin Harrison does too, but right. neighbors is right there. They're both way up there. Yes. Then you've yes. got the rest. That, yes. That's how I viewed it most of the season. And, and I was lucky enough to score neighbors in a Debbie draft last year. And that was the one guy that I targeted. Yeah, and it was yeah. because I, you know, I'm a Georgia fan. So I've watched a lot of sec football and I have no sec bias because screw the rest of them. Go Georgia. And I hope the rest of them, their bus, their bus breaks down on the way to the game or whatever. I don't care, <laughs> national championship or not. But I do like watching good players, and and that dude just he jumped off the screen. What do you think about your the Steelers' new offensive coordinator? And do you think that that will impact <laughs> any of the fantasy relevant players? Hey, JJ, I'm a Falcons fan. I'm sorry. Are you? Are you? <laughs> but uh, thank you for taking them off our hands. <laughs> I, so here's my here's my thing with Arthur Smith. I think that within the within the context of the personnel the Steelers have, there are worse coordinators for that specific job, right? But the problem that I have with it is that the Steelers are openly telling everyone that they're totally fine with mediocre. Like from like a team building standpoint, from an offensive standpoint. I, I tweeted this like a month ago or so that the Steelers uh, are just in purgatory and they're building like it's 2004. And it, it, it they've, they've been doing this, I mean, since Roethlisberger retired, but they've had decent enough drafts, but you know, the, the, the picket, the picket pick was terrible. And I went to pit, like I love Kenny Pickett beyond most, the way that most people feel about him. Like I was at the ACC championship game with the fake slide against Wake Forest and all that. Uh, <laughs> I, I love Kenny Pickett, but like you just got to be honest. Like when they drafted him, it was fun. Like it's, it's cool, but he's, he's not good. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I do think, I do think though, within the context of this team, we know that Arthur Smith can bring a good run game. Like it's, it's more than likely that he would be able to do that, you know, with, with Najee and Jalen and Jalen Warren, 
you know, I worry about the the passing volume from like a Deontay and George Pickens standpoint, from a fantasy standpoint. In these situations, oftentimes we're going to judge success based on where a team was and where players were to where they ended up. And where they were, I would still take Arthur Smith over a Matt Canada and over what they dealt with last season. Uh, and so technically, from that perspective, I, I actually think that like a Pickens and Deontay w- will and can be better just from a from a route tree concept standpoint and such. My issue though is it's Arthur Smith still, and they're not gonna be, you know, they're not they're not gonna do anything with the quarterback position. They're totally content with just sticking with Pickett for a year or two. And you know, it's gonna be a run-centric offense where they're gonna try to win with defense. I just don't think that's a recipe for success in today's NFL. Yeah. You know, I took two things out of that. One, you like the smell of farts better than the smell of a big pile of shit. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You got rid of the big pile of shit, and now you just have a fart. Right. And number two, the Steelers have told us they're gonna that they don't like Kenny Pickett, and they're gonna take the ball out of his hand. Yeah, I, mean, I they're, agree they're with it. Writing yeah. on the wall that they got a guy that doesn't like to use the quarterback and doesn't like to focus his game around the quarterback, and you've got two running backs that can handle a load. So just take it out of Kenny Pickett's hand and hope that you can We're, squeak into the playoffs again. If you're only trying to do something in 2024, there are definitely worse offensive coordinators for that, right? But if you're trying to be smart and think long term, there are way, way better offensive coordinators than than Arthur Smith. And so, you know, I know a lot of people will will point back to like what he did with Ryan Tannehill. And I I actually thought that Pickett was kind of like in that Tannehill mold coming out, where it was like, you know, the ceiling probably isn't going to be that dramatic. He's probably not going to lead this this high passing volume type offense, but uh, you know, it could be efficient, maybe like an Andy Dalton type or something like that. But he has some mobility too, like Ryan Tannehill. Um, but I think it's silly to pinpoint, you know, one or two seasons, basically one and a half seasons where Ryan Tannehill was this like uber efficient quarterback and then completely ignore the things that he did in Atlanta where it was just egregious the way that he used Kyle Pitts. And I mean, he literally would just line Kyle Pitts out wide on half of his snaps. It's like, let him play tight end. Just, just let him be a tight end and let, let him do, let him play that role. That's where the mismatch is created. Yes. Yeah. And so that's, that's the frustrating part for me with a guy like Arthur Smith. You know, fortunately, at least now you have, uh, you know, his, his backup running back in Pittsburgh is better than the starter as opposed to before. Yeah. So when he plays the backup, when he yeah. plays the backup in, uh, in Pittsburgh, it won't be as egregious as yeah, right. exactly. Tyler Algier over Bijan. Yeah. Uh, wheel, wheels up for uh, Darnell Washington. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you prefer one QB super flex, you tight end premium guy at all. What's your story? Yeah, I'd say super flex uh, for sure. I just think there's a lot more strategy, um, you know, involved with it. I think that, you know, maybe aside from last year, maybe the year before, but there was a period of time where it it was starting to get a little bit more turnkey. Super flex was where people were just pounding the position like crazy in the first two rounds of startups. But I, I think that there's a lot to be said about, you know, going with like a, a stud and, and dud type uh, stars and scrubs type approach to super flex where you know, I've gotten to the point where it's like, why would I pay a premium on Tua or, you know, a quarterback like that? There's just no reason when I could, if I'm really in a pinch, I could have traded an early third this year at some point for like Baker Mayfield, right. And like gotten something out of their late second, even, and gotten something out of that, which would have matched or even exceeded, you know, Tua's production down the stretch. So I like when I'm, when I'm building, I like Superflex because it gives you a lot of, of openness for strategy. And then I like to go with, if I can get an elite guy, that's great. Getting two of them these days is just really, really difficult. And so I'd rather just kind of go with that, like that dart throw. Let's see what Sam Howe's all about. Maybe invest a little in Brock Purdy and hope for the best, you know, obviously before the season and just kind of go that route with the with the QB2 spot. How'd you feel about Jordan Love this year? Do you think mm. it's, he's like still ascending? Is it- I don't know. But obviously one of the toughest evals out there. Uh, I lean on a lot of the guys who are smarter than me at the quarterback position who see really, really good things out of him. I also really like the weapons they've put together in Green Bay, which I don't think any of us thought that we would say last year at this time. And so, you know, like I was a huge Jaden Reed guy. Dontavian Wick showed a lot this year. Uh, Christian Watson, uh, you know, banged up obviously throughout the year, but he still at least has that upside and that that field stretcher role that he can play. Romeo Dobbs is solid enough. And I love the rookie tight ends that they had this year too. I, I thought both of them were, were really good prospects. So you have the weapons, young weapons in place. And what I loved with, with Jordan Love is that, you know, he, he definitely some question marks to start the year. I mean, he was not that great the first right. half of the season, but he 
completely flip things around with, with more reps in that offense. You also have to trust the coaching staff. Like Matt LaFleur did an unbelievable job this year in green Bay. Like, like one of the best offensive minds and in, in, in coaches in football. And that's not going to change. Like that's a static piece to the Jordan love journey. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, I don't know if I would go out and necessarily like trade for him right now because his price is pretty high. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, the places where I have them, I'm not selling. That's for sure. You know, mm-hmm. I'm play. I learned this from Rich Rebar, uh, Lord Reeves a, a while back whenever I, you know, he started playing dynasty before I did. Um, and then he was in the super flex leagues before me. And the number one thing he told me was to just throw those darts at, at random rookie quarterbacks in your rookie drafts yep. in the late second into the third into the fourth round. And then just, just flip them for seconds the following, you know, like Davis Mills and as soon as they get a starting job. Yeah. Right. As soon as you, and, and so I was doing that and I had a lot of Jordan love and then, but no one wanted Jordan love. Like no <laughs> one was trusting Jordan love. So now I, I was like, like at the beginning, beginning of the year, I was trying to just flip love for like a first in a lot of leagues when he was doing really well in fantasy, but it wasn't matching his peripherals like whatsoever. You know, a lot of his like expected completion rate and stuff was not very strong no one was biting. And then I'm looking back and I'm like, Oh, all right. Give me, give me a couple extra first now. Instead of, instead of that <laughs> one. Exactly. Yeah. So it's have you crazy. made a concerted effort to, to capitalize on this uh, value jump since, you know, week 11 or whatever it was. Yeah. No, I mean, right now I'm scared to, if I'm being honest with you, like, like quarterback is quarterback is so high stakes in, in super flex league. As you, as you guys know, it's really, right. really difficult to, go out and sell a guy like love when he realistically next year has a top five overall and startup ceiling. Like he, that's mm-hmm. like, that still exists. You know, like I'm not, I doubt he'll jump like a CJ Stroud, but you know, maybe he'll be in the Justin Herbert range. And so, especially with freaking Greg Roman going to, to LA. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, 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 I just hesitate because of that, because I still recognize that ceiling when these guys get that opportunity. I'm more inclined when I'm selling quarterbacks to sell guys, who I know don't have the pedigree whatsoever that, you know, someone's just trying to find this like stop gap. Like they're trying to take a chance on the Davis mills type. It's like, I, I look, if I get burned by Davis mills, I get burned by Davis mills, you know, uh, but with a guy like love, if I end up uh, having him as his values accumulating, I'm kind of cool with just holding on to that and, you know, maybe diversify across my leagues a little bit where I have him just to see, yeah. but um, I'm more in the hold territory right now with love. Who do you think is your most rostered player? Maybe you have a couple most rostered guys. I'd probably say Isaiah Pacheco because I was really high on him uh, entering the the, the league. Um, so oh. there's a there was a, a meme within my Discord, the late round fantasy football Discord, after I published the prospect guide last year, where you know the I mean you guys have have kids, so you you know Encanto, I'm sure the movie Encanto. Sure, yeah. and, yeah. And so instead of, we don't talk about Bruno, we were all saying, we don't talk about Pacheco. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we, uh, we were all just like gobbling up Pacheco throughout our rookie drafts, you know, fourth round and stuff. And those are the instances where like, I could easily go out and be like, yeah, I just own that. I, I, I knew Pacheco was going to be, no, I didn't. I didn't know he was going to be this good. Like that's, no. that's a lot. I didn't really get like, whenever I find a player like that, that ends up hitting, even when his value is increasing to like, you know, that summer you could have maybe gotten him, gotten a second for him, you know, before his rookie season and stuff. It's, I, I just don't, I, I like to just hold on to the guy because I like to ride it out because it's more enjoyable. And I think that's still an, an aspect of dynasty that, you know, not just, of course I want to win. Of course I want to do all that, but I'm not just going to like yeah. tur- flip these guys for more semi darts, you know, to yeah. throw. So I, I ended up holding on to a lot of Pacheco. So you yeah. don't find yourself playing the portfolio thing quite. I do, but I I do it for the the super high end guys. Um, okay. I don't mind having a lot of Pacheco. I mean, I, this off season I might sell some because obviously his his stock is is climbing and yeah, you might be at the ceiling at this. Point. Yeah, right, exactly. So so I, I rode that out a little bit. Um, and you know I wasn't even like that that high on him in like redraft this year. It's just one of those things where like if I get a dude in the fourth round. And yeah, there might be an opening to get like a late second for him or something like that, you know, before his rookie season. But then there were a lot of metrics that were pretty favorable for him. And there were things that, that we shouldn't have really questioned. Like there was no reason to expect Kansas city to like go nuts at the running back position this past off season. They had other areas to fill and Pacheco did his job. Like he was good and they started using him a lot more in the playoffs. And so when it comes to the, the smaller, the lower investment players, I'm not really going to do that when it comes to, I remember the one year I drafted T Higgins a lot, the year that he came out 
and mm. I diversified my T Higgins. Some of the trades were horrible in hindsight, but you know, I still, di I diversify the guys who end up becoming a top 20 ish type player in dynasty. But you know, when it comes to Pacheco where, you know, entering this past year, he was still, you know, on the fringe of like, like, you know, not even like a top 50 guy. It's easier to just kind of hold on to that. Like, I, I wish all my bad trades could just go and be diversified instead of just hitting one team, right? Because <laughs> the one team is so good. And if I would have never traded guys, like I basically have given up like T, Amon Ra and, and Nico for like nothing, you know, like it just ended up being like basically nothing significant. And he'd be doubly upset with you for trading away T and then going back and looking at the trade. Oh, That's it's horrible. Uh, it's the worst feeling, man. The worst. And you, you always remember, you never remember the trades that you destroy. You always remember the trades oh, yeah. that, that, that you miss. It just eats you alive. Yeah. Oh, no. As we're talking, I'm thinking about my, I there traded no Brock Purdy for frigging Cortland Sutton. There is <laughs> no all these bad trades you've made, Larry. There's no way. I don't think this applies to you. I have a I have a wor even worse trade than that. Uh, God, who is the uh, his, his name is escaping me. Who is that 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 uh, Washington football team running back? Small guy, third down guy. JD McKissick. Yes. Oh, yeah, McKissick. Traded McKissick. I traded for I was making a run and I traded a rookie at the time for JD McKissick. Uh, this rookie by the by the name of Amon Ron St. Brown. <laughs> The 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 week before he blows the up. Week before he went berserk the rest of yeah. the season. That's probably one of my worst deals ever. Anyone who plays Dynasty and says yeah. they've never had deals like that are are they're lying. <laughs> you know, I, I like I'm pretty good at blocking those out so that I don't. Dwell yeah, so you just don't want to. Remember that's it. the kind of shit that I would be like. It'd keep me up at night if. Oh I yeah, hundred. Well, like, this past oh my gosh, I I'm in I'm in a league this past year where I just I realized it's a best ball league. So like you know the, the downside of the best ball dynasty leagues is that you're not as on top of those teams as you are the managed ones, right? Because you're not really paying attention to them as much right. as the season goes on. And so the season's about to start, and on this team I have John Mechie, Tank Dell, and Nico Collins, and I'm like, oh my god, they have a rookie quarterback. This is going to be and it's a win out team. Like, the team's great on paper, and of course the guy that I trade was Nico. Of the, of the like, why couldn't have been at least? I mean, look, I still have Tank Dell, so that's great. But like, why couldn't have just been like Mechie or something? And someone just done it like a small trade. I wasn't even. I mean, I don't care. Like, I wasn't high on Mechie or anything like that. It was either trading away Tank or trading away Nico. And you know, I looked at my rosters. Like, I have some Nico elsewhere, and so I ended up trading Nico for for like. I think it was like a Brandon Cooks plus type deal. <laughs> you didn't lose to the team you traded Nico to, did you? At least it's not that, right? No, they didn't. Neither of us won the championship this year. So okay, so yeah, at least yeah. you don't have We're to go that kind of misery. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel about these smaller stature wideouts that kind of we kind of just got overwhelmed with them the past couple of seasons? Like like a tank down, like even Devonta Smith with just these hundred and seventy pound guys that have come out. I think Justin's finally coming around. I was kind of neutral on on them at all, but. These smaller wide receivers are are kind of making themselves relevant in the in the NFL, where that kind of wasn't the case. And the those are usually just like the third down slot guys. Do you see these smaller guys just taking on a pr more prominent role? And this is just going to be the new NFL. Larry, I still will not draft them. I will just buy them once they've proven themselves. I still can't bring myself to go draft an 160 pound tank Dell. So number one. When I built my prospect models for the first time and I was testing things, I realized that wide receiver size didn't matter at all. And I was I was a little shocked by it whenever I was testing it. So I, I've never had wide receiver size as an input in my model ever. I think BMI might have been like a very, very small one at one point. But running back, actually running back weight is way more predictive and, and more interesting than wide receiver weight. Um, So I, I'm all I mean, I'm, I'm all about the smaller guys as long as they can ball and like the. The thing is, like, there's a lot of selection bias with this stuff and, and survivor bias, if you will, where uh, usually the smaller guys aren't going to have higher draft capital. Like, you know, you're going to get outliers like a 2-2 Atwell, which was out of no, like, no one thought he was going to go in round two that year. But, you know, like Tank Dell, like, crushed Senior Bowl stuff and was, like, had a really, really good offseason. And then, you know, a lot of people loved him. You know, my age-adjusted stuff didn't love him, but um, I still threw darts at him in, in drafts because you know, the size stuff just doesn't really matter that much. I mean, if a dude can ball, if he can run routes and and look, we know that the game favors offenses more than it did before, uh, just in terms of uh, what defenses can do. And so, you know, a lot of these guys, they can, they can win off the line uh, with their, their, with their agility and speed more so than sheer strength. And so, 
the, the crazy thing to me is that a guy like Tank Dell ended up playing a lot on the perimeter and he can play on the outside. Like that's the kind of stuff that's more interesting to me. Uh, like Elijah Moore was like that, where in college he was almost exclusively a slot guy. And then he goes out and he balls out his rookie season, mostly playing on the perimeter. And so yeah. that's the kind of stuff that's becoming more difficult for me to really project and predict. Um, but it's, you know, I, overall, I'm not really that concerned about size at this point. Now, when you talk about your model, I mean, everyone, people, a lot of analysts, you know, they have the model, the model, like uh, yeah. I'm, I'm envisioning this like supercomputer that you like, you feed this information in and it's yeah, like it's right the, si the size of like, uh, it's like stuff. this big, Larry, it's like the size <laughs> of a phone. These are super. And then it spits out yeah. this, this ticker tape and you're like, Oh, here's, here's, here's the result. Yeah, yeah, JJ wasn't even alive when that shit was, was actually. I'm just being stupid for no reason. Matrix over there, did you hear him? He was a freshman in high school in 2002. Stop. <laughs> He's only seen yeah. that stuff on like slides at the library or whatever. Microfiche. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't have an overhead projector when you're been out all all your uh, your prospects and, and stuff. No, like but I, I miss I miss the overhead projector game. You know, our kids will never understand uh, overhead it's projectors. And, and I I'm a I'm a lefty writer, and so I would smear it every time I'd go up there and answer a math question and <laughs> oh, stuff on no. the projector. Just the worst, man. the worst. Man, have you had to adjust anything? I know COVID kind of put a wrench in and like kept these guys in school. Yeah. Um, longer than, than they would normally be in school where they took advantage of, of that. Um, has that messed with any of your analysis? Yeah, it, it might when I'm testing down the line, it's just not going to be seen this quickly, you know? So I, I, I test everything every year. I make sure that things, <clears throat> you know, are still looking good. What I do though, is I, I, we, we get more data that's more readily available to us every year. And I try to test that data and see if it's going to work within the model. But then there's other stuff that I just sit back and think about. And I'm like, I don't want to do it this way anymore. Like for instance, in my model that last year and you know, for, for years, I was using breakout age as, as an input for wide receivers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Breakout age, obviously being the age that a wide receiver hits. Usually it's a 20% dominator, sometimes a 30% dominator. So it's whatever age they were at that time. And the thing that I realized that was obnoxious about it, and I, I realized this, I mean, I've realized it forever, but I really took a, a, a step back and thought about it last year was it's way too binary where a guy could have a 19% dominator one year and not break out because he had a 19% dominator instead of a 20% dominator. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but dominator rating is, is not the most, I mean, it's not not predictive, but there's a lot of flaws to dominator rating too. I mean, it's, there's, there, there are metrics within it that, uh, you know, aren't the most predictive in the world. And so, uh, what I did this off season with my model is I created breakout scores for, uh, wide receivers and running backs wide receiver, I think is a little bit more interesting, but, uh, it's basically looking at threshold, multiple thresholds instead of one threshold. And instead of using dominator rating, it's using yards per team pass attempts. And so I have all these different thresholds. That these guys are essentially trying to hit, uh, at different ages or what have you. And then it gives them a score of zero to hundred based on their breakout score. And then that's one of the inputs in the model instead of looking at breakout age. So when I'm doing the testing and stuff, it's not necessarily, you know, how is the college game evolving? Because it's really hard for, you know, one season every year. Cause you know, I get an extra season of data basically every year, whenever I'm testing this stuff, it's really hard for that to be seen immediately. I think that there's some subjective things that we can do you know, with, with, uh, the way that we're drafting these guys based on what we know about NIL deals and COVID the COVID season and stuff like that, where we're like, okay, maybe there's not as many early declares anymore. What ha what have you, you know, that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I think it's easy to sort of overstate what all of that means. There's still a lot of guys declaring early. There's still a lot of guys that are going through the same path. They always go through because at the end of the day, getting to the NFL and make, you're, you're going to make more money in the NFL. And that's a dream for these guys to, to, to get there. So you know, it's easy to overstate those kinds of things, in my opinion. I'm glad you mentioned NIL because that's really for, more than the COVID stuff as far as long-term, how it'll affect drafts and how it'll affect draft models. My theory has always been that it's going to affect the middle-tier players more than it will the, the top guys. Right. Like the top guys are going to want to come out. But if you find that third round, you know, someone's getting draft stuff and you know, they're a wide receiver and they're they're saying okay you know they're getting draft advice it's like you're looking like a third rounder or whatever yeah and they can make a couple you know a mill or two at their school still in school playing in college ball right i think that could entice them to stay rather than going 
you know, headed to the draft. But yeah. I don't think it's going to keep like the Marvin Harrison Juniors and, and Malik Neighbors, obviously, those guys. I don't think it's going to keep that level of athlete from coming to the NFL because yeah. getting that second contract, any any good financial advisor is going to say, hey, you need to be you need to be taking advantage of this and getting in there quick. And the other thing that people think about or, or miss is that NIL money is not contract money. It's not equivalent because when you go pro, you can still make NIL money. Yeah, exactly. Still right. making, you can make endorsements on top of your contract. Right. Right. So the the other thing, I, the other thing I want to add too, is that like, you know, early declare status is something that analytical folk are obsessed with at like wide receiver, right? If a guy declares early, we love him. If he doesn't, we hate him. Uh, but, but with the reason I love doing the model stuff and like modeling this stuff is that it weighs things properly. You know, like a couple of years ago when Chris Olave was coming out, a lot of people were fading Olave because he stayed in school an extra year. My model loved Chris Olave. It's not necessarily like the end all and, and like a death sentence of a guy doesn't declare early. It can be just weighed properly based on history. You've been associated. You were a number five fan duel. You always hear, you always hear those two. Uh, kind of hand in hand. Where are you now in the in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, so um, Number Fire was bought by FanDuel in 2015. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, from then, you know, I started at Number Fire in 2013, you know, did the startup grind, if you will, for the for two years. And then we got bought by FanDuel in 2015 and took a little bit of time, but we slowly integrated to sort of start running the content that FanDuel was doing, but it was mostly through Number Fire. Um, and so, uh, you know, I ended up leaving as a, so I was a full-time employee at FanDuel from 2015 to 2021, January, 2021. And so, or 20, January, 2022. And so I ended up leaving FanDuel as a full-time employee, went out on my own, started late round fantasy football. So it's been two years since I left FanDuel and I had a two year sponsorship deal with FanDuel as I left. So I went from being a full-time employee to then just being partners, sponsors. I mean, Fandle's a great place, great spot. It just was one of those things where it was just time to kind of end it and move on and see what uh, what else would be out there. Uh, I mean, I was going to try to segue into like the parlay stuff. And you, you, any any guys in the Super Bowl this week that you think might might have a good game? Yeah, I like I like Pacheco's uh, rushing line over right now. He's like usually at sixty seven and a half in most books. Um, I feel like everyone's on it though. So it's kind of scary when everyone's on a number like that. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I really, I, I think this could be a George Kittle game in this, in this matchup, Kansas city, you know, they've been fine against tight ends in the playoffs, but um, they actually allowed the fourth highest adjusted target share to tight ends this season. Um, they, 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 you know, some of that might have to do with the blitz and the way that they kind of handle things defensively, but it's also, you know um, you know, you're, you're, you're targeting a weakness at safety for them. Uh, by going after the tight end. And so I, I think it could end up being a, a Kittle game. And I'm, I'm intrigued too, because, uh, you know, Kansas City blitzes so much. Uh, Brock Purdy has actually been awesome against the blitz this year. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see if Steve Spagnuolo decides to to not, you know, bring bring his guys as frequently as he has throughout the playoffs. Yeah, I can't imagine them not blitzing a lot. But I know. with all those weapons, it's just easy when you can – if you're, I mean, and Purdy seems to be a very cerebral guy. Yeah. But, uh, if you can identify that pre-snap, you can find your guy. And, exactly. And Especially when you have Debo and Christian McCaffrey right there for you. Like, right, exactly. I mean, they they so can do some work. That, yeah, so much yeah. after catch stuff. Now, do you have a rooting interest right now? Or sometimes I got to wait for the game to start to see where my 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 mind is like, who I <laughs> figure out. Who I, I won't Larry, know. Larry waits till the third quarter to pick who he thinks going to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, he, he, he loved the Falcons the one year where they blew it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, JJ. What was that? What was that? Damn. <laughs> No, I don't have a rooting interest. I, I I just want a good game. I, I kind of I kind of want the 49ers to win just because they're be, because I want to I want to watch the world burn with the Brock Purdy takes. I just it'd be really fun to to, right. to just see people just like try to defend it and stuff. And then, uh, but like I I enjoy watching greatness. So if the Chiefs win, they're a lot more likable than the Patriots were uh, as their dynasty. Um, so I'm cool with I'm I'm cool with that either outcome. It would have been fun to see you know, Baltimore, Detroit in there. But I still I still think that both teams are have their fun storylines. They're both likable in some way. I'm a Kyle Shanahan fan. I mean, 
it's kind of hard not to be like he's he's good at what he does and you want those guys to be rewarded in some way yeah, i just want points that's all i want out of this game i always that's all i always root for yeah, if, I, if, I don't, if i don't have a direct rooting interest i just want points i just want like a just a shootout you want to wrap things up justin yeah man let's uh you know hey we still got an orphan I know everybody out there is in that lull after the postseason lull that we have. We have an orphan in the uh, listener league. Yeah. So if you're interested in taking over a team, we're going to have a little dispersal. I don't. I have no idea. I've not reached out to anybody to find out how many teams are going to be in it, but at least two. Three copy, fourteen team league. We we have one opening. Join our Patreon. Yeah. You know we got two tiers, a three and a ten. You know it's pretty cheap to get in and hang out with us. Uh, If you're hanging out with us, you can catch up with like like Matt did with that question for JJ earlier or like Kyle and Stevie D in the chat tonight. Just there you go. Hello, so follow JJ Zacharyson at late round QB at live the stream FF. Yeah. So, Don't forget about the East coast dad life, right? Yes. Tell, tell us about that real fast before we let you go. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I started tweeting about East coast dads a few years ago. Cause I hate when there's late games, you know, on and us dads just get tired. And so I would always tweet about East coast dads. And then I ended up making like hoodies and t-shirts and stuff. You can actually buy them lateround.com slash shop. I'm selling all the profits that I make on East Coast Dads Apparel goes to No Kid Hungry. Yeah, I just started doing that as like a fun little thing. Um, and if you're even not on the East Coast and you're not experiencing the the awfulness of the time zone for sports, you can still support it and just be support the vibe. But JJ, we miss anything? We got anything else to add? That, that... I've got the prospect guide that's coming out yes. uh, in March. Check that all out on lateround.com. He puts a lot of work into that. Give that a look. Follow the guy. He's the man. And thank you so much for, for making the time, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks, JJ. All right, all right. Let's go, baby. Oh, next week. Should I drop who we got coming on next week, Justin? Yeah, John Lobb. John Lobb's coming on, baby. The Gridiron Scholar is going to be joining us, and maybe we'll talk some. Maybe we'll get into some some Senior Bowl stuff, some some incoming rookies. It's his annual appearance. We love getting Johnny Lobb on the show. He's the man. Thank you, JJ, once again. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Hot Sauce Pod. One, two, three, four. Larry Monkey and Justin Rogers. Fucking dynasty football, baby.